Turn in your Bibles this morning to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning in verse 17. Corinthians chapter 1 verse 17. Now for Christ did not send me to baptize but to preach the gospel not with wisdom of words lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For the Jews request a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jew and Greek, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than man, men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, but not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. Now, 1 Corinthians is a really important book because the folks coming into the church at that time were coming out of paganism and they have to ask well what exactly does that mean and here are people that are were used to some human sacrifice, ritual, prostitution you name it you name an evil and they worshipped it and here they are come into the light of the gospel. It must have been like a light shining on everything they ever were or ever did. But I don't know about you, but when I came to the Lord, it was a time when I, 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 I felt there was no part of me that wasn't pure because of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. So that had to be quite a contrast to them. And what a terrible day that was to live in darkness. But what a wonderful day it was to come into the light. We live in a different day. We live in a nation that is absolutely going back into paganism. And we're coming out of the, the, the light of the gospel and going back into the darkness of the past. That wasn't part of my sermon this morning, but it was when I got up here. It was something that needed to be said, I thought. We are absolutely in trouble as a nation. Uh, we 
steadily seeing things in our nation go from bad to worse and worse still. And we wonder why the Lord didn't, is not doing anything about it. But at the same time, what we are experiencing is the things that a nation goes through when they're under the discipline of the Lord. And he does that to bring us back to himself. So I hate to say this, but so, uh, there, there has to be an element there of the worse things get, the more he loves us. That's a, a strange way to put it, but he's trying to bring us back to himself, and we're not listening. Maybe some of us in the church are. I hope so. That uh, plaque up there just jumps at me every time I look at it. And it's just been a favorite verse of mine for years. We do need to turn away from our sin. We do need time to turn to the Lord. And we do need to seek his face. And until then, we're going to stay in trouble, I think. Then there's another little aspect of this, and I, I don't know about you, but I, I can see where we may be just in, in, in the, the latter days, you know, that Scripture speaks about. And uh, if that's true, things are just going to get worse, but we do have something to look forward to. And that is the rapture of the church. Now, I, uh, ever since I became a Christian, I've always been fascinated by that word, by the and by the word rapture and what it uh, it means, and the catching away to be with the Lord. But I never seriously thought I'd lived that long. But I'm an old man, and I may live that long yet, because they're seeing more and more signs of it. And uh, that's my first two sentences of the sermon. <laughs> Didn't plan to say any of that, not a bit of it. But the Lord put it on my heart, and I thought it needed to be said, and so I, I said it. Verse 17, Paul wrote, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. And you cannot separate the cross from the gospel, for without it the gospel falls apart. It's central to the gospel. That on an old rugged cross, on the outside of Jerusalem, on a hill called Calvary, the Lord Jesus Christ died for the sins of the whole world. For all of the ages of people in the world, that is... One, this is a, a terrible thing that it made it necessary and a terrible thing that he experienced it, but it was wonderful in a sense for us because through that we have salvation, and without it we don't. Jesus said, had he be lifted up, he would draw all men to himself. And even today, Jesus and the cross stands as an invitation to every human being and be saved. He has paid the price for sin, and we must trust him for life everlasting in eternity and for the abundant life here. That little verse there where it's 
Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men to himself. Reminds me of, of a, the Old Testament passages that prompted that. You remember the children of Israel were infested with snakes. People, they were dying. And this snake was nailed up on a pole. And all those who looked at it, by an act of faith, I suspect that's what it was all about, lived. And those that didn't, did not. It just points to the fact that Jesus, high and lifted up, our Savior, died for us. And with him, we can live forever with him. And without him, we can't. The preaching of the cross draws believers for they understand it is a true and a proper sacrifice of God for our sins that he died in our place. It was foreshadowed or pictured in the Old Testament sacrifices in the temple and the tabernacle and was foretold by the prophets. In Isaiah 53, 5, we find that he was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him and with his stripes were healed. Isaiah 53, 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. The fact that we are sinners is beyond doubt. Try to make it a day without sinning. You can't, with word, thought, or deed. I have a friend who, uh, <coughs> for a while, was a member of another church another denomination and was listening to some of his uh, friends in that denomination stand around and talking about how long it had been since they sinned. <laughs> now, how long do you think they got away with that in his presence? And he reminded them that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That we all sin daily by word, thought, and deed. He was not too popular. But you, you know, you kind of wonder, well, maybe it'd been better if he was silent. No, no, he stood up for what was right. And God bless him for it. And there's Isaiah 53:10. It pleased the Lord to bring him, to bruise him, not bring him, to bruise him. He has put him to grief. The preaching of the cross draws the believer because it is plainly taught in the New Testament. In Matthew chapter 26, Jesus at the Last Supper, more properly called the Last Passover, teaches of his broken body and shed blood which were given for the remissions of sins. And it would have been nice if we had communion this morning with all the other verses here. <coughs> In Hebrews 9.26 speaks of Christ having appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. You're getting a lot of scripture this morning. Sorry about that. No, I'm really, I'm not apologizing for that. Because I think we need it sometimes. And there are, I, I think the, in the 
Jewish synagogues, they stand up, and that's about all they do is read Scripture. Maybe they comment on it as well. I'm not sure. But in Ephesians 5.2, Paul says, To walk in love as Christ also has loved us and has given himself for us as an offering, a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. What a wonderful Savior we have. So the preaching of the cross draws the believer. It is a stepping stone to him across the, across the wide breach that separates, separates the believer from God. It delivers the believer and it becomes faith so that the believer becomes a, it becomes a source, I should say, of pardon, peace, holiness, and glory. And sometimes I have trouble reading my own writing. <laughs> but in contrast, the preaching of the cross drives the unbelievers. I don't have any problems with that verse. I can remember that very well. I was saved as an adult. And I can remember the gospel driving me. Uh, I really didn't want any part of it. It uh, was too convicting on me. It didn't leave any room for me saving myself. And, uh, of course, we know how far you get with that. If anyone rejects the truth and the light, what he receives in his place is Satan's lies and darkness. It also produces fear and rebellion, and thus many are driven away from the preaching of the cross. I was, as a young man, and I may have told this story to you, I'm not sure, but as a young man I was... Uh, I installed and maintained burglar alarms. And I spent a lot of time in motel rooms and way out of town, away from my family. And you know what you find in motel rooms? Gideon Bibles. And I decided one day, well, you know, I don't know a lot about that. So I think what I'll do is I'll just, I'll, I'll just read that thing through one time just to see what it's all about changed my life, what it did. It's exactly what it did. Now, it was a long time after that before I come to Christ, but I sure was in conviction for a long time, and that's what the Scripture does for you. To the Jews, the Scriptures are a stumbling block. The Jews of old truly didn't understand the true nature of the laws they followed so imperfectly. They didn't understand the scripture that they read and memorized so diligently. They supposed that Jesus Christ was an enemy to the law and the scripture, so they rejected him out of hand. And that rejection was not arrived at with honest thought or an honest examination of the evidence. In fact, they had to studiously ignore the truth to arrive at the rejection of Jesus. 
that's always been an amazement to me how the Jesus here in, in, in the incarnation in his time on earth how they could reject him after seeing everything that he done and how godly he was and out of hand they, they just rejected him but you know I think we do the same thing until we come to the Lord some, at some point Stubborn and willful ignorance is still a good a reason that most Jews and others reject Jesus as the Christ. Nor have we as Christians helped them. We, first of all, sent them the Crusades, which many of those people were not Christians. They just murdered the Jews where they found them because they were Christ killers. And that's what they come up with. And after that came the Spanish Inquisition where it was convert, be burned at the stake, or leave the country. Now that was a real witness to someone, wasn't it? They got a lot of false conversions is what they got. But worst of all was World War II Holocaust, which was, was it seven million Jews that were murdered by the, by the Nazis? Seven million. I saw some of those pictures that one of the local men took one of those camps. There were just dead people everywhere. Starved them to death, shot them, burned them, you name it. But there again, to the Jews, this was the Christians doing these things to us. They were dead. But not really. They were just Christians in name only. And Gentiles, that is non-Jews, are driven because the preaching of the cross is foolishness to them. It doesn't flatter their human pride. It doesn't appeal to their human logic, and it seems to them to set aside good works. That, that was a, one thing that I had problems with. I was always going to straighten myself up in one of these days, and I'm going to start going to church, and I'm going to start acting right. I didn't realize I didn't have the capacity for it, that I had to have the Lord in my life to do that so that didn't work and it won't work for anyone or this one I like this one too this is this is a, a one I've heard often I don't need a savior uh, you know I'm not a sinner well if you're not a sinner what are you try making it through 24 hours without sin having a sinful thought word or deed it just doesn't happen People just simply set aside their, their uh, the wisdom of the Bible and they seek their own wisdom and their own way of salvation and they perish in the process. They seek to rationalize Christianity and it's to make it conform to their own preconceived humanistic ideas and it doesn't work for them. So it's foolishness, they say. Christianity is completely rational, but not when combined with humanism. So the preaching of the cross drives the unbeliever away, 
It's a stumbling block. It's foolishness. And it damns the unbeliever because of his rejection of truth and rejection of the Savior. That's point one. Point two. The preaching of the cross saves the sinner. That Christ died for our sins and rose from the dead for our justification. That there is no redemption but through the death of Jesus Christ. No salvation in any other. That's the short of it. There's more to the gospel story, of course, in the scriptures. But we, in and of ourselves, cannot add to it. It's all of God. For the gospel saves us to save us, we must believe it and receive it as truth. Moreover, we must believe and receive Jesus Christ as Savior. Salvation is in a person. It's in Jesus Christ. We need to receive it as suited to our spiritual needs. That he is the Savior. And that we need him to make intercession for us. So we must receive the gospel of self-sufficient for us. That Christ is that in Christ we find sufficient sacrifice for our sins and nothing can be added to it. That he is able to save us to the uttermost, all who call upon his name. He has the power to save. And the preaching of the cross stabilizes the saints. Paul declares, I didn't come to you as a silver-tongued orator trying to convince you by the beauty and the volume of my scholarly abilities of my words. He is saying, I didn't come to you with an admixture of scripture and wisdom of men. He is saying, I declare to you the testimony of God. I am giving you God's truth. Paul determines to preach only the crucified Christ, that is, preach the cross, the atonement, the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ. Then we have Paul's disposition. He speaks of being in weakness, in fear, and in trembling. Here is a man who wrote most of the New Testament, and he is in fear and trembling about what he's saying, what he's writing. I guess so. I don't know of a, a, of a preacher or even a Christian or a school teacher or anyone else that has ever witnessed anybody that didn't have that little bit of fear and trembling about realizing what I am saying is about to say represents God, and it's going to have an effect one way or another on those that hear it. And so, yes, I can understand the fear and trembling for him as well as us. The fear is you won't get it right or you'll be misunderstood. So that's another reason. Then we have Paul's demonstration. The results of Paul's weakness, fear, and trembling led him to realize his intense need of the leading and the guiding hand of the Holy Spirit in his preaching, in his ministry, 
in his life. And that's, we all need that. Uh, I am amazed when I see preachers that can get up and without a note, I'm an old man, I have to have notes. And they can get up without notes and preach for hours. I don't know how they do it. Uh, well, really, I do. It's under the influence of the Holy Spirit. And I wish that I was as yielded to the Holy Spirit as they are. In fact, I pray for it. But uh, the Lord hadn't seen the answer to that yet. I think it was Charles Haddon Spurgeon who said that the world has yet to see what the Lord can do in the world with a man who is completely surrendered to the Holy Spirit. And I think he tried. And he was a tremendous preacher. I've read some of his sermons, and they were great. And you just wonder, where in the world did he get all that stuff? And he got it from the Holy Spirit. That's exactly where he got it. Then we have Paul's desires. Not the wisdom of man, but the power of God. And I think I turned a page too many. I do that once in a while. When I do, I have to figure out what I'm doing here. When we look at all of this, we can understand how we can place our full confidence upon the Lord and his word and how that can stabilize our lives. Last this morning, let us notice that the preaching of the cross satisfies the saints. We have a great fear. All human beings have it at some point in their lives. That thing moves us to weakness, fear, and trembling. And that great fear is of death. The Bible tells us that as in Adam all die. So death is the great leveler. It comes to the mighty, the rich, the famous, the poor, the lowly the known and the unknown. And it has been 100% in all generations with him, except the scant few. It's something we have no control over. And as surely as the sun rose this morning, we, were, we will all die, each and every one of us. As in Adam, all die. But that's not the rest of the verse. That's not all of it. The rest of it says, even so, in Christ, all shall be made alive. As surely as the sun rose this morning, we shall be resurrected if we have placed our faith in Jesus Christ. You know, I didn't think of the, one of the things I didn't think of is when, it, you know, when we spoke about the rapture that Jesus was raptured. He certainly was. So the resurrection of Christ is a surety, a promise, a guarantee that we shall all rise from the grave. Now, it's also a surety that we shall have great reunion with our children and our loved ones and all of those that have gone before us that died. Had an interesting thing happen in my life. My, I have a cousin who's a genealogist 
refreshed the Coopers well back to, I think it was 1585. I mean, I, I, I look forward to, to meeting some of those people. I'm sure I will meet some of them. I happened to read the uh, uh, confession, Christian confession of one of my ancestors well back. So I know for sure I might be able to reach meet him, but most of all, I'm looking forward to seeing my wife and my children. And all and above all, Jesus Christ, my Lord and my Savior. Because if it wasn't for him, none of us would be there. Amen. Paul writes that the resurrection of Jesus was the first fruits of those who have died. And afterwards will come those or Christ at his coming. What a promise. What a great revival reunion. And what a blessing it will be to be with and like Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Father God, we again come before you this day and ask your blessings upon our nation and upon our people. And pray, Lord, that you will implant a hunger to know Jesus Christ in the hearts and minds of all of us from the youngest to the oldest, Lord. We pray for a revival and awakening, a revival here in this church and other churches in this community and around the nation, but we pray for a great awakening for those who don't know Jesus. For without him, we'll all perish. With him, everything will be wonderful. We can look forward to a new heaven, a new earth, and being with our Savior. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.